Hey everyone, uh, today's episode is super exciting for me because I'm going to be interviewing a school friend of mine who I haven't met in 20 years. Uh, we've all heard about plant-based foods. Uh, they've been in vogue for the last couple of years. Today we are going to talk to the pioneers in this field, uh, which is Blue Tribe. We are going to be interviewing their founder, Sandeep, as well as their CTO, Navneet, and their chief commercial officer, Sohil. So, Sandeep, I'll start with you, right? Uh, so, by the way, we are classmates from Bombay Scottish, so it's great catching up with you. Uh, so, Sandeep, tell me about your life till before Blue Tribe. I would love to know that. So, I mean, life before, and I'm still, I'm the, you know, I run a large pharma company. It's a family business called Alchem Labs. And life was good, you know, it's a large business you know, company taking a lot of my time. But I used to keep investing a lot of startups and, and, and this space but really attracted me. And I just didn't want to be a kind of just an investor. So therefore I got into this. So before this it was uh, just Alchem Labs and investing, not kind of doing some startup things. Yeah. So, uh, so tell me about what did you do before Blue Tribe? I was purely into FMCG for the last eight years before Blue Tribe happened. So I was with Colgate, then with Mondelez uh, for a couple of years, doing a variety of roles in sales and marketing. And that's when I actually met Sandeep. And Sandeep had this vision of, you know, putting India on the plant-based meat map of the world. And that kind of, you know, inspired me. And I was also into sustainability, a lot into animals. And this kind of fell into that space for me. Fantastic. Navneen, how about you? What did you do before Blue Tribe? I was initially was part of a Nestle R&D team, going into the scientific part where, so where they used to explore something which will come into the future. So that was my role and it was very interesting. Way before it came in India, uh, Nestle started exploring those things you know, they were in outside countries. So those were the trends in which I was more interested in into it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, so how did you all meet Sandeep? Yeah, so I was looking out for people who, you know, I could run this business with because I had a large, I still have a large company which takes most of my time. So I needed somebody who could, you know, act like a partner who could run with things, treat as his own company, very important. You're as good as your people, you know, I'm sure we know that. So, you know, I went through the typical headhunter route, met a lot of people, uh, but in the chemistry never clicked because a startup is a lot about chemistry. In a large company, one wrong person makes no difference. But in a startup, I mean, you'll fold. Absolutely. So I think what I liked about, so we met through a headhunter to answer you. But uh, what clicked was that he seemed very mission aligned. And, and, and it's very important for me, a good human. I think you want to work with people who you get along with and you respect. So. That is fantastic. Uh, so, what do you see as the vision for Blue Tribe in the next five years? Uh, the long-term vision, I think, and Sandeep and Navneet are probably better at this, but the long-term vision is to replace animals from the food chain entirely. Uh, I think, but there is a long way to go for that. So, we've got to take it step by step. I think what we've started off with is a majority of what animal the animal supply chain is used for, which is meat. Uh, the idea is to have as many use cases as possible for the Indian uh, population, for the Indian taste palate, to be able to replace animal meat with plant-based or more sustainable sources of meat. You know? 
and not give up on the experience but live uh, without the impact so i i like the piece where you said don't give up on the experience because as soon as you move away from the taste buds it may be more sustainable but it doesn't taste good nobody is going to do it no matter if it's cheaper same price because taste is king yeah. right uh, so when you started off nanith what were the some of the challenges you faced with let's say developing the product or any other challenges that you faced earlier so one of the most interesting thing when this once we started we started pre lockdown so if you google the searches pre lockdown let's say plant based meat will have nothing on the google searches at least in india so there was completely no market so it's something let's like let's say mm. putting up a product uh, uh, for which consumer has never tested it before so that was something which is uh, kind of an uh, something which was a blind thing for us so that i would say could be one of the challenges second up was setting up the entire ecosystem so while we used to once we started it everything started we used to meet many people so there was no ecosystem of back end that was completely non existent so that was something we had to build up something from base zero even from the back end so we used to meet different people everybody used to say no we're not working on it we haven't heard about it so that is from the manufacturer side all giving us so those were the challenges initially thirdly was uh, uh, the the regulation part of it there was non existent so there was if you if you even scroll the fsc entire book through all the searches there is no mention of plant based and the meat part so i think right now a lot of the stuff is in discussion right a lot of the stuff is in draft mode and you'll see a lot of the regulations coming out i think in the next 3 months you'll see a lot of regulations coming out and i'm hoping and i'm assuming that they will be helping y'all and not hampering that will be great that will be <laughs> that will be great because one change in regulation can actually hamper a market big time you know in a very 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 large way so i would say i i was just driving down and while coming over here so in fssi we have lot of regulation right nutrition label so they we add up the kind of a carbon footprint in the packaging itself mm. let's say i buy a piece of chips so how much carbon print it has so kind of that kind of that will bring definitely a bigger change in this is something which is linked to environment yeah which is a bigger picture but i would still need those thing to come into the product pack as a part of regulation which is still something uh, so i think before it comes on food this should probably come on a lot of the other commodities as well which right. is much easier to do for example the other day i was booking a ticket within us from one city to another it actually showed me the kgs of carbon that would be consumed which is very interesting to you know see uh, something that i am also personally working on as a project right so did you travel after seeing the footprint unfortunately <laughs> i had to right okay <laughs> however the second flight yeah. i turned that into a zoom call okay. it was a half an hour meeting yeah. going from phoenix to la yeah. for a half an hour meeting didn't make sense right. but that what actually triggered me pushing the customer said oh why don't you come and see me tomorrow i said i'll i'll, I'll fly down but when i saw this i actually messaged him back not referring to the carbon footprint saying hey can we turn it to a zoom call will it be will it be okay and what we saw was customers are okay with that like a lot of a lot of you know people think that all oh, business has to be in person while that may be true for the first meeting i don't think second third fourth fifth sixth meeting need to be in person can easily be done on zoom becoming more sustainable but i think a large challenge that i'm seeing today is people are not aware of what their carbon footprint is So if I ask anyone, hey, would you like to reduce your carbon footprint? Yes. Would you want to be uh, a net zero person? Yes. Do you know how to do it? 
No. Do you know what a carbon footprint today is? No. So something I'm working on right now is actually to solve that problem by letting people and companies know what is your carbon footprint. If you want to reduce something, you have to start by measuring it, right? So like my uh, vision was to make water, food and air in India safer. The first step towards it is by measuring how bad or how good is the case. Hence, we are in testing where we see, hey, how bad is your water quality? How bad is your food quality? How bad is your air quality? In some cases, it's not bad at all. It's doing great. Fantastic. You don't need to really focus on this. But places where it's not doing great, you can actually then focus on improving it once you know where you stand, right? So, Sandeep, tell me a little bit about how did you all come up with the name Blue Tribe? It sounds very interesting. I would love to know. That. Yes, that's fantastic. And the credit goes to, uh, to the person on my right, Sohil, also. So, as soon as we joined, we were trying to crack our heads on finding a name. All the names are taken, you know, Ashwin, how it is, the trademark, you never get the trademark. And we had a lot of uh, very interesting talks. One of the names we shot was a planetarian. So it was very, like, fiercely, uh, you know, wanting that name. But there's a company in the US which had it. So we said, maybe it's not great. Uh, credit goes to Soil a lot for this because he uh, took the word tribe, I think if I remember correctly. And then we said, let's find a word to suffix or a prefix, like one tribe, tribe one, something like that. We, we, we zeroed on on blue because blue stands for, you know, the planet, you know, you know the, those kind of things. So I think that's how we came. I think it's a great name. And uh, it's a fantastic we, yeah, name. It's and I love name. the yeah. fact that there is tribe in it because I yeah. think it also shows the ecosystem. Yeah, it shows absolutely. the kind of people who will associate with it. Correct. correct. Right. So I, I love And the, we also believe that no matter where we come from, whether, whether we are Indians or Asian, I mean, Americans, Africans, whatever, we all belong to this one tribe, the, the tribe of Earth. And not only, it's, it goes beyond that, whether you're a vegetarian, non-vegetarian, vegan, these are all just labels. Ultimately, everybody wants sustainability, if you think deeply about it. So, when you all started, how did you go about hiring your first teammates? Any of you all can take that question. Sure. So, as I, you know, building on the, you know, which I answered earlier, I think it's very important that we get the, the people, the right people. In a startup, that's critical, otherwise you'll shut shop and in months, if not weeks. So the, having that person was very important. And I think it's the search for a person, you know, who you think will fit in and somebody who can be very authentic with you because we all know that we, you know, deeply, we are very comfortable when you have yes, yes men around yes, you. Uh, so we want to people, have people who can, you know, voice their opinion and take initiatives. And we were lucky to have the first lot of people who were like this. So Sohel is like that, Namneet is like that. And it was just fantastic. We, I would also say we got lucky because I'm sure there's, I don't have a process written where <laughs> I can give it to someone, but uh, but yeah. You need to be a internal truth seeker, I would say. And I like that, I like that truth. Yeah, yeah, I just generally yeah, think about it a lot and you'll get it. So, uh, is there any specific trait that you look for, or is there something different you all do in your interview process when you all are finding? What, what do you what do you call? Uh, you all have a name for your teammates, like for example, at Equinox, we say Equinoxians, yeah. right? So do you all have anything that way? I think we call tribers. What do we tribers. call tribers? Tribers. So uh, what is the one characteristic you look for, or something unique that you do in your interview process to find your tribers? See, I think one is you know taking initiative, uh, initiator. Because in a startup, see, you have to do things on your own. Mm -hmm. You have to take wear multiple hats. You can't wait for someone to tell you what to do. Things will just not uh, function. So I think that quality is very important. When I see that missing, then I get really worried because you can't say when it will happen. 
then I'll do it. I mean, right. God will just make things happen. Uh, have you all faced any challenges with consumers about your product saying anything about taste, anything about texture, anything about why are you trying to replace meat? Have you all faced any challenges, any incidences with customers, funny or serious? I mean, and the, the last question that you said, why are you trying to replace meat is a constant yeah. question that we get asked. Uh, and people don't understand why plant-based meat as a concept is in existence, right? So you've got to explain it that, hey, you know what? We love the taste of meat. We're not trying to take that taste away from you or that experience away from you. We just want to give it to you in a more sustainable manner. And uh, but that, explaining that to people uh, without antagonizing them is is where our uh, you know marketing lies essentially. So, uh, what are the different yeah. kinds of products that you do have? So we have about uh, nine products, okay. and uh, what we're trying to do is have a mix of products which you can easily make at home uh, in the snacking space, and products which can be center of the plate as well, which you can you know cook into something that you were otherwise cooking with meat. So, we have products like kebabs or sausages or nuggets which fall into the snacking, quick eating kind of space. And we've got products like keema or mince, which you can make into a, you know, your own curry or into your own uh, keema paratha or, or stuff like that. Basically, do what you want to do with it, uh, what you were doing earlier with meat. Right? Uh, I think that is, we find the key to getting into yeah. Indian households because uh, Indians don't want to just pick up and eat. Most of the time, they will do that once or twice. But until and unless you're able, they're able to make their own dish with it, uh, you're not going to be a part of their pantry. Then you become a novelty item that they may buy once in six months. Yes. But you don't want to be a novelty item. You want to be in their shopping list yes. every day. Hab changing habits, very tough. So, yeah. And I think that was probably one of the most important uh, calls that we took and what Navneet was able to develop. Because before that if you see globally none of none, not a single product exists which you can actually take home and make it to your own curry like you've got the impossible burger mm. or the beyond meat burger mm. which is already a made burger right? Right. Uh, so getting that out was i think one of the first challenges that navneet and his team were able to overcome so navneet how long did it take you to create like from scratch to product on table like a product in a store how long was that process yeah so uh, so product development was the second thing. The first was building up the ecosystem. So uh, at that time, before lockdown, we used to visit multiple places where we see the scope of a uh, co-development and uh, kind of you know, uh, putting up that we are a serious company. We will be building up because uh, uh, our volume was very less. So, uh, so it was a commercial business rather than a very small. We wanted to be kind of the first premium company. That was our mindset. So we, it took around uh, four or five months at least to build up that ecosystem. And once everything was done, let's say the lockdown started on 24th of March. Just before that, we had plans to kind of launch our products, let's say by April or May. Something like that, we had developed around one product out of it. But then the lockdown happened and then it pushed everything to around seven, eight months. So that was a testing times at least for us. So, and uh, that is what I... Uh, really admire about Blue Tribe or Sandeep is uh, the company was almost uh, three months in operation. I was the only one kind of and uh, so as a business we need to generate revenue. That's a hard fact, right? The balance sheet has to be good and and at that time 
three months and then the lockdown happened and it was kind of nobody knew entire world was kind of and uh, i even told sandeep ki what should what should we do i was just getting paid up doing nothing it was something very bad for me also i was sitting at home and then uh, and that at that time the company's values kicked in so kind of so those things is still uh, very vivid in my mind ki so i still feel ki the value system were the greatest and that and then the lockdown kind of you know the first lockdown opened up and immediately we started to work upon and re-establishing all our things and then the first launch in fact happened october around something around that period and uh, so that was the period in which we can't say the development happened before that but it, the entire ecosystem took a lot of time for us to launch the first product but interesting so, do you think sandeep the lockdown helped you or hampered you i think it it helped us in a way i you know and, and i love that question because during the lockdown you know we couldn't go and do a lot of stuff which a normal company would do on the field so sohil wanted a d2c but lockdown kind of forced us also to launch a business through direct to consumer because no store was entertaining us and things like that was very difficult to so i think that helped us because we could build a brand of, in a better way to start off with because we were constrained and sometimes being constrained makes you focus and that's what it did with us so it helped us honestly uh because a lot of other brands took their own time to do things but we never stopped i think credit to navneet and soil and everyone in my team we kept going and i always tell my team i don't want to make it sound very pompous or bigger than what we are but you know when you're working on something like you know important thing like climate change you got to keep going whether it's a lockdown and i'll remind of my friend he's a big environment activist in us he said even if there's a nuclear bomb on the world we'll keep going we'll keep working so no matter what happens you stay focused and keep doing i mean we didn't know whether lockdown will be for two months six months year we, we didn't know but we did what we had to do so what i saw is during the lockdown so many new organizations were formed right and uh, many of them were food based which is interesting to see uh, a lot of home based uh, companies started uh, people supplying meals making you know unique products uh, so many manufacturing uh, you know companies started and the way we found out about them is most of our companies are actually uh, food manufacturers and restaurants and you know home delivery businesses there are clients that number almost tripled yeah. during the pandemic yeah. and uh, something which is very counterintuitive is during uh, the pandemic we added four new laboratories we had to uh, bombay and bangalore but in the pandemic we added four new laboratories and everyone is wondering how are you guys, why are you all doing it like we don't know when the lockdown is going to open things are you know industry is bad or lockdown is bad <coughs> you know so how are, how are you guys doing it because the same advice people told me that shut it for six months don't do anything yeah thank god i didn't listen to that yeah <laughs> so when you all began did you all have any mentors who helped you all understanding the industry understanding the technology i think if you know the industry was so new that nobody understood it very honestly <laughs> we are still understanding so we didn't have any typical mentors honestly but we were very inspired and i'm saying it very uh, like brilliantly we were very inspired by some companies in the west uh, fortunately and fortunately a lot of innovation still happens over there so i think people like pat brown the founder of impossible foods and you know the founder of beyond meat so we were just inspired by those people who could think for the world like pat brown was a academician you know he was working for stanford uh, you know university is one of the like top scientist 
he said he went to a lot of businessmen and told them that you should work on this but nobody did it so he was forced to into it and it's a fact oh wow that's that, uh, that is pretty cool yeah so i i personally was inspired by him i said boss i mean if a professor age of 50 wants to start a company it must be an urgent problem so other than that yeah i mean no, we no. had to pull our own so i think whenever you enter a new market or you all create a new market yeah. uh, there are a couple of burdens that that the pioneers have to take one is there is nobody who's can show you the way because there is nobody who's gone down that way and two the education of what you are doing educating the customers yeah. is tough because nobody knows about what it is why it is it you know exist I, i face the same issues with labs when we we used to go tell people you need to do air quality analysis they like why like what are we going to do about it which is a very interesting question because then it got me to change our strategy because when i met enough clients and they said hey i mean okay air testing sounds nice water testing sounds nice. what are we going to do with that what if it's bad now what like now i have a problem that i didn't have yesterday i didn't know my air is bad but now if you go and tell me air is bad what are you going to do about it so we changed the approach to actually say so even the company's initial name was equinox solutions the idea was we will let you know what your water food air quality is and if it's bad we had scientists on board who would guide you we won't sell you anything we're not going to sell you purifiers we're not going to sell you anything but we'll tell you what you need to do but that helped quite a bit but the burden of that was quite heavy for us because almost every client we had to educate on why they need to do it once the law came in things got a lot easier but before the law it was uh, quite bad do you see any laws which will kick in which will either help you or hamper you i think one of the things that navneet was referring to earlier which is having carbon footprint of various food items on the packaging is something that will really help put put at least carbon footprint into people's minds as to understanding what they're consuming it doesn't have to be there doesn't have to be a penalty associated with it at the start or at least getting people to understand getting people to figure out what their carbon footprint is in terms of what they're eating is going to be really uh, important over there i think there are already a lot of laws uh, in place to help people sorry can i take that again yeah of course there's already a, there are, there are already a lot of laws that are coming in to help people understand what climate change uh, to help people get to climate change uh, alleviating measures getting food also into that is going to be is going to be important so i think uh, if i'm not mistaken from what i read earlier uh, the animal husbandry industry mm. is one of the highest polluting yeah, yes, industries yes. when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions yes. I don't think enough people understand that. That is true. Yeah. So that education, education. if it's yeah. if it's made available and people start understanding that hey, if I eat a, a you know kg of chicken or pork or beef or whatever, what is the carbon footprint associated with that versus true. alternatives? And because now it's not that there is no carbon footprint associated with plant-based food. It may be one tenth. It's, it's still yeah. there, but it's just it's one tenth. Yeah, if it exists, yeah. you will have carbon. Of course, right? Yeah. Just you sitting and reading, sitting, yeah. me sitting and reading here is, is, is there's a carbon yeah. footprint associated yeah. with that, right? But once people start understanding that and the measures that they need to take to offset that, sure. because it doesn't mean that you'll never have meat again. It just mean may mean that okay, hey, I may have a steak once in a yeah. week because I know yeah. what it's doing to my environment, right? I think the government has done a brilliant job with plastic. something very similar maybe not to that harsher level but something similar coming up will be i think very very helpful yeah. uh, it may or may not happen through fsci it may actually happen through uh, 
CPCB, Central Pollution Control Board, or one of the other government bodies, you know, who is monitoring uh, this and making it happen. Yeah. One thing I've realized, and I've shared this story multiple times, is the Dhirubhambani story, right? Where uh, Dhirubhambani on his deathbed told his children that do not ever break a law, but keep in mind laws can be changed. Now, that's something I've utilized uh, very well with, let's say, food safety. I'm now doing it with environment. I'm getting associated with CPCB and a few other bodies, right? Because laws are written by humans. Laws can be changed. You just need to know how to do it, right? Now, you may do it for evil, where you are getting pipelines put in and uh, doing whatever. I'm not going to go into that. But you can also use that same philosophy for good, right? If you want something good in the world, you can actually make it happen. It requires tremendous amount of patience, which many people don't have and which is why they try it once, twice and they're like, oh, it doesn't work. We've been doing this for the last 10, 15 years with FSSAI, whatever changes that we foresaw that, hey, it's good to have, for example, having a trained staff member in food, if you have a restaurant, having somebody who's been formally trained, because unfortunately, 99.99% of people who work in the restaurant industry, actual people making your food are not highly educated. Yeah. At least having one member in 25 people who's formally trained. What is the cost impact? 1000 rupees one time. So it's not really expensive, but it has one of the maximum impacts on food safety. Something very similar on this. So the burden of education is unfortunately going to lie on you guys. I think more than how they can help us, Ashwin, I think they should not get in the way. So <laughs> they might not be able to spur us, but they can certainly slow us down. So we, you know, when companies were launched in US, a lot of animal industry got after them and saying that you can't use the word meat. And that would be very detrimental because if you can't use it, things like that, then you're slowing us down. Correct. So uh, I think one of the simplest things to do is, I, I'm not aware if it's there or not. There should be an association for yeah. people who are working on plant-based. They, they are there, but yeah. If it's not there, make one. Like having that ecosystem and two, once that ecosystem who's working on similar goals and by the way, sometimes they may be your direct competitors also. But if you're making a change, you're actually going to help everybody in the ecosystem. But if the competitor mindset is there, like I will only do it, but if you're going to get benefited, he's also going to get benefited, right? Uh, the idea is, but having that association and having a representation with the government is very critical. Most people think it's impossible to do. I am. I was very surprised, presently surprised, that FSSA is very open yeah. to this, having industry representation, because end of the day, when they're making a law, it is for the people, yeah. but they want, they, they understand that, hey, there, there is another side of the equation. So there's governance, you have people, but there's also the industry. Yeah. So whenever a new law is being created, they actually consult all three. Yeah, there's a draft. Then. There's a draft, but if nobody comments on it or nobody's going and representing and like, these are the changes, this is how it's going to negatively impact the industry, then whatever the default route will be taken, right? So if you're not already doing it, find out a way of getting there. If you need help, let me, I'll be happy to kind of help you all form that. And Because if you don't have a representation, then you're going to be the choice of the default choices which are made. That's true, that's true. No, but there is one. But I have another view in this, yes. kind of bringing the change. Also. So I, whenever I was in school or even in colleges, so whenever the topic of environment should come, it always used to don't burn fuel and smoking causes and mm. lung cancer and other things. But never in, in the picture, they talk about animal agriculture, how much it is contributing to greenhouse gas, which is a very big prominent number. If you combine every, all of the transportation kind of, you know, club everything and how much greenhouse gases they do it. 
and on the one side we have uh, all the animal agriculture which is bringing in all the greenhouse gases it is still bigger than this number and it's yes. not, neither reflected on the textbooks neither on that so nobody is aware as such yeah. so another change will come in kind of once we bring those things at the school level and college level nobody talks about it and that's how the second generation will bring in the entire chain they will decide what need to do it's kind so, of this is yeah, something great point that's a fantastic point uh, so currently there is a large drive on food fortification that's happening right because yeah. uh, on one side you have obesity as a problem on the other side there's malnourishment uh, so to tackle the malnourishment problem fsci is doing a lot of work for fortification they're promoting fortification the new f logo and then things that way so that people understand that this food is fortified and they're making it easier for people to fortify food making it very inexpensive to fortify food but the big challenge came in that people don't know what that means so one of the projects we're working on right now uh, with the ex ceo of fssci uh, he has his own foundation and we are supporting the foundation where we are creating a curriculum for schools it's a very simple thing maybe it's like it could be like a simple chapter but fifth onwards being taught about what is fortification the need of fortification in the same way the people the kids today who are in 5th 6th 7th 8th 9th 10th are your tomorrow's consumers Absolutely. they are your tomorrow's citizens they need to be taught about plant based meat plant based i mean plant based alternatives because they shouldn't find out about it when they are 12 or in their 12th grade or after in a shop sure. i think that is something that they need to understand so if you want to drive that change you can literally look at having this put into curriculums i know it's a long it's a long arc game if you start today it may take 3 to 5 years but if you actually start today within 3 to 5 years this could be in textbooks wow. and you're i mean it's a, it's a long again it's a long strategy long yeah. um, but we've done something very similar where importance of safety is now today in textbooks right uh, basic food safety hygiene safety like things like you know cook food can be kept outside for 4 hours it's such a simple thing but kids were never taught this but today it's in textbooks that basics of food safety has been taught to second third graders today right so if you want to bring that change uh, you can definitely look at the education right from the younger age uh last week i was having a conversation with somebody and uh, i was actually discussing about plant based foods and so they had a point where they said that hey you know what uh, if you say that an animal husbandry has to stop how many people will lose their jobs right. that was the argument they had i had a very simple argument i said hey you know what when the internet came Absolutely. how many people lost their jobs True. what happened is that you didn't lose jobs new jobs were created True. you had to change your skill set the number of jobs actually became a lot more yeah, yeah. than the jobs that were lost it's just that your skill set was no longer in demand it's like saying what if you stop refining then but you got to save the world and the jobs will come i mean right 3 yeah. weeks ago i was in a interview show where we were talking about uh, ai in customer support so one of the companies i have is in uh, customer support so somebody is saying that hey with ai and bots and all coming in and we are we are working on that side as well they said hey aren't you killing your own supply like your own demand right by doing this or oh, one bot can replace 20 people like aren't you killing your own market i said no because there is people who have to program the bot bot is not something i give and it will just figure everything out right so every new thing that is being launched is actually going to actually create new jobs it's just the skill sets will have yeah yeah bot has to progress man i mean right uh sandeep as you are growing this organization what are what is the single largest challenge today that you face the far biggest challenge we have is the market is very very small so you know we literally what we spoke of 
five minutes back. We have to create the market. And that sounds very good, but that's also very, very scary. Because, you know, when you have tailwinds, business grows. And when you have headwinds, we need to educate people. That's uh, a big challenge. So I think that's a huge challenge we have. Because we all risk that, you know, we'll get lost in this uh, chatter of uh, trying to save the world. And uh, it sounds very good. And there'll be some podcasts like this and wonderful. But we have a very serious issue. And everybody has this, not just Blue Tribe. The market has to grow. We are very, very small. And we are insignificant right now. And I'm saying this with all due respect to everyone. So I think that education, what you spoke about, is very important. And more importantly, I think, see, I mean, I don't disagree, but more than education, we need to innovate. Because model science lectures are not going to work. People don't care what the carbon footprint is, very honestly. You give them a good, tasty food, they'll switch. Even if the carbon footprint is like 10x, it doesn't taste good, they're not going to eat it. So how do you how do you innovate at Blue Tribe? Like, what's your process? What's your method of innovation? Yeah, I think so. I think, first of all, we have, like, great people. And we try to partner. We don't try to do everything ourselves uh, because we don't have that non-invented here syndrome. I mean, we are fine. It can. Uh, we are very willing to collaborate with people in licensed stuff. So I think that's important because also speed is important to us. Uh, so, like for example, we're trying to do something very, very complex in some protein, uh, you know, filtration because of some innovative products we have. Yeah. We're working on it from the last two years, but we're not going to compromise and launch a product. So I think one high benchmark, but at the same time, don't be like stuck. Be ready to launch. So like, I love this saying that, uh, you know, perfection is the enemy of good. So we rather rather launch something, but obviously you don't want to launch something which is completely low-balled because people think you're a crappy company. So I think speed and perfection both we try to kind of... Uh, That's a tricky what, balance what, to what have. Tricky balance, but we try to collaborate and get things done. I like the... Because when you're doing new things, you will not know every single thing you need to know. So finding partners who are able yeah. to help you in certain spaces, but having the sense of what you don't know is critical because most founders are like, oh, this is my idea, I know everything in this. Most of those founders fail, yeah. right? It's people who quickly realize that, okay, I'm good at this, but these other three things I don't know. Let me find somebody who can help me these things. I love the saying by Socrates, I think he said, he said, all I know is I know nothing. So I'm almost there, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> That's a state of enlightenment we all should reach sometime. Uh, what is the largest challenge you get when you are acquiring new customers? A couple of challenges, actually. One is, I think, what we've spoken about already, which is the awareness levels of the need for such a product. And the second is that people, once they've tried it, uh, we also need to match pricing. And that's where innovation uh, really comes in, because you've got to give them the same experience at the same or better pricing in the market. Uh, while we're there in terms of, uh, you know, the product experience, I think the technology needs to evolve a little bit more and we need to have a lot more scale to be able to get the pricing exactly right. So currently, uh, if we compare it to aisle bought meat, uh, which is supermarket aisle bought meat, obviously I can't compare it to fresh meat mm -hmm. because that is at a completely different uh, ballgame. But at Albot Meat, we are still at about a 1.4 to 1.8x of the of the products that are already present. Mm -hmm. Getting that down to a 1.2, 1.3x is we is where we believe the sweet sweet spot is for consumers to switch over to something that is a little less heavy on the carbon footprint. Is uh, carbon footprint the only selling point, or is there some other feature or benefit 
for example, higher protein uh, protein content, or is there any other thing, or is it is the sales pitch purely, hey, it's better for the environment, or it tastes better, it lasts longer, am I getting any other health benefit, or is it purely sustainability? So our consumers have come to us, and what we've understood from them is that they switch for one of three reasons, or a combination of these three reasons. One is the ethics of it, which is not wanting to, you know, uh, take another human, living being's life for food, right? Uh, which is the obvious one. The second is the environmental impact. Uh, a lot, a lot more people, especially after the pandemic, have become a lot more aware of what is going into the, what is going onto their plate, and what impact that has on uh, the food chain, right? Uh, especially with zoonotic diseases coming in, like your swine flu, avian flu, and all of that. The third one is a more, much more personal reason, which is health. Uh, a lot of people who eat meat are realizing that it's it's got some inflammatory properties. It has a lot of high cholesterol, uh, which they want to cut down on, right? So one of th these three reasons is what uh, consumers are shifting to us for. We keep talking about uh, you know the environmental impact and obviously the health impact, and that's something that our innovation keeps working on on how to get better, cleaner products out there uh, for consumers to try. Which is your target demo? That you're going, the demographic that you're going behind. Is it young people? Is it older people? Is it vegetarians who want to taste meat? Or what is the, have you all found that sweet spot? It's non-vegetarians who have a conscience, let me call it that. <laughs> because, uh, see, we're trying to, as a purpose-driven company, we're trying to reduce meat in the world, right? So vegetarians, if they're not eating meat, I mean, honestly, they can try out the product, but I'm not going to, you know, go out and market it. We benefit nothing. Else. Yeah, nobody benefits out of it. So, as you grow, how are you planning to fund this? Are you all looking for external funding? Is it self-standing right now? Are you all planning to raise money? What are, your, what are your thoughts? So, as of now, we are privately funded. Kind of, I'm funding it myself. In the future, we don't know, but we might be open to raise money, but that's not the primary motive. Like, a lot of founders say, my company should be valued at so much. I care a damn. I think the company should make money. I don't want to be a unicorn. Yes. I want to be a company which uh, makes Green, money. Profitable. Yeah, <laughs> sustainable. And one of my friends said a great term, we don't do rely on OPM, other people's money. So, so I don't want to like go for that, but if required, we can go. But uh, I think those are not important things in life. First, I want to launch great products. And uh, yeah. So, a lot of founders, take pride in the whole valuation game. Yeah. Uh, I raise so much in round, this thing I have series A, series B. Very, very few people focus on bottom line, right? So what are your thoughts on that? Is there, are people doing it only for the glamour of it? Or, and how many companies have you seen that have started with series A, series B, series C and are actually green? Like I've, yeah. Most of the ones I've seen are still red and it's been not like one, two years. I'm talking about like five, seven years still red and deep red it's not like no, no, oh they became green and became red again that's a very passionate subject you have to touch so i firmly believe that a business should make money sir otherwise why the hell are you doing it you are not a csr or a charity to yes. promote you know greenism or you know low carbon footprint because business has to be self sustainable so i you're totally right I, but there were a couple of reasons for that ashwin i think this low interest rate globally flooded raising money was very easy and people went berserk and a lot of VCs and P private equity f had this FOMO. But we all have seen last one year valuations have crashed globally. Re now people talk about will you make money. 
So I think because fundamentals will always come back, sir. It will always come back. You know, sure. you can have some detours, but so I think the world will eventually get there. But yes, I totally believe. I think most of the businesses, so-called unicorns, might not survive if I think I. So we land up working with a lot of unicorns, yeah. uh, and so I have access to a lot of their internal uh, stuff. I know unicorns. I'm not going to name any of them. Yeah. Which were literally three weeks away. And I'm talking about billion, billion dollar companies, yeah. which were literally three weeks away from shutting down. Yeah. If the next round didn't come, two, three, four, five thousand people, yeah. everything just closes, everyone goes home. Yeah. Right? And so risky to be playing that game. Uh, today, the small companies who are making money, yeah. it could be two, three, five, ten crores, who are green, I think have a lot more value, the value creation. And sustainability, rather than some, it's a billion-dollar company but burning 300 million dollars, yeah. and in the next five years they are not even going to look green. True. I, I think those models itself are very flawed, and as you said, access to easy money. And I think somewhere it's also founders wanting to do that. I completely agree. Right. And I think it's a vanity issue where you think uh, you know you raise so much money you can hit some newspaper headlines and uh, yeah, but I think that's dangerous because you know if you have so much money you'll ultimately blow it out. Either you'll give some huge discounts. We have seen what's happened in e-commerce. I mean, again, I would not like to take names, but but sustainability is a big question. And I think many first-time founders who haven't raised money before don't realize that if you bring on a wrong partner, you're gone because they are just going to keep pressurizing you to cut corners because they will want you to go green, which is of course you should, but not under the gun and uh, Having strategic partners actually is quite helpful, right? So I'll give you an example of Equinox Labs. We partnered with Thyrocare. So Thyrocare is one of our investors. But the strategies, they're investors in Equinox Labs, right? And uh, <laughs> right? Uh, the point is Thyrocare is an investor. And so Thyrocare actually got bought out by Farmeasy for a billion dollars. So now our investor is a $4 billion company, which is quite interesting to see, right? Uh, on the valuation front, of course. And uh, they're IPOing also soon. Very no, no, they will do, they will no, no, they will do now, but they'll they'll IPO next year, right? Uh, so the point is having great partners. Like Thyrocare is a great partner. Uh, Dr. Velumani was a fantastic mentor, yeah. right? Uh, so the reason we even raised now, many people may not be aware of this. Is then we didn't need the money. The money till today sits in an FD, and it's invested. It's not being used for growth because we were always green. The reason I even did the deal is because I wanted Dr. Velumani on board. So I asked him, he said, the only way I'm going to come is if I have some interest. So I, I literally did it only to have him as a mentor, but it is complete 100%, 120%, right? Completely changed how we operate. Uh, so he doesn't look at Equinox Labs numbers and all. He looks at me. He's my personal mentor. When I need access to him, when I need his knowledge, it's one phone call away, one SMS away, one Zoom call away, one meeting away. And he's able to help us unlock things which otherwise have taken me five or ten years to get to. We have access to that today, Wonderful. right? Like during the pandemic, we went five x on our sales team. Five x on your sales team. Okay. We grew our sales team five times. We grew our labs from two to six in the pandemic because he said that's the right move to do. So I went and told him, I'm thinking of this. What I, I had a bit of hesitation, right? Like I'm trying to spend this kind of money. What do you think? He's like, why? I was saying two labs. He said, make it four. I was saying, we'll double the sales team. He's like, why don't we five exit? Like, right. So, but having that push and having somebody else having that faith in you and guiding you, 
I think is tremendous. So I have a, I'm a big believer in power of mentorship, right? So I think uh, my last question uh, to all of you, there are a lot of new companies entering this space, right? Uh, Plant-based meat and sustainable meats and sustainable products. What is the one piece of advice I would want each one of you to answer from your perspective. What is the one piece of advice you want to give? Yeah, this might sound like an oversmart statement, but my advice to them would be, don't give too much discount, don't put your money there. Put your money on R&D, because ultimately that's what's going to set you apart. Otherwise, it's a comedy business. We all can get into that game, but innovation is going to win you. So it's grow the pie instead of trying to see how much more of the pie I can get, because today that pie may be only this small. See how you can grow the pie. Go at the or topics which you, it's more of an experimenting with it, kind of, which will open different dimension of this market. So that is what I would suggest to all this uh, new startups or anybody big, just think on different direction as such, rather than a similar direction. So, so uh, thank you so much guys for taking out the time. Uh, this was absolutely fantastic. I got to know so much about plant-based meat and what goes behind it, right? I mean, many people are not aware, like they see it as a product, and but they don't know the challenges which are there, the opportunities which are there. And uh, I think it's going to be one of the next biggest thing to happen. It's already, I mean, you're seeing the trend already there. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for sharing openly. Thank and, you. Uh, sharing this with our Wonderful, audience. sir. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So guys, uh, that was the team of Blue Tribe. I hope you've learned something new from them individually and as an organization. I think they're doing some fantastic work. And I am waiting and dying to try their new products today evening. Uh, and. Uh, Whatever you've learned today, I'm hoping you take at least one lesson and apply it in your life and hope that will help you break some new ceilings. Thank you so much and I'll see you guys in the next one.